well, I've never seen an angel choir like the one that we just had with the kids singing about, but I have seen the heavens and the earth collide. I got to tell you this story. So um, I was in college, and we were at this little camp, Camp Lutherdell up in northern Minnesota. Um, and there we were. We're sitting around a campfire, keeping watch of our little flock of, of campers by night. And it appeared, at least from the outside, that we were absolutely in the middle of nowhere. We were at that small Bible camp, Lutherdell. We were outside of a little town called Reamer, Minnesota. That was as, as close of a town as there was. But we were in the right place at the right time. I'm going to set the scene here. Okay, so imagine you're the campers. We're sitting semi-circle around this campfire, right? So the campfire's here, you're there, and then behind me that you're facing out to the lake. So you've got this beautiful view of the lake. It was a clear night. The, the sun had just set. Stars are coming out. You're surrounded by these beautiful trees. Behind me, there's this wooden cross, um, it was uh, one of those great nights where we're singing the songs around the campfire. There's the camp skit with the camp counselors. And then our youth director, Roger Twido, who I talk about all the time, he invited a young counselor to come up, a young counselor named Laura. She was going to share that night. Um, and she was her whole thing was, hey, I'm going to share about, from my heart, I want to be encouraging you to take these things that we learned here and then bring them back home. So she gets up, she gets started, it's going great, and Rod says, hey, 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 I'm sorry, Laura, but you got to stop. Because as she's speaking right behind her, the most brilliant northern lights that any of us had ever seen just explode behind her. Just absolutely explode behind her. How many of you have seen northern lights? Seeing them right now. Right, They're right behind me. See them right now. You know, that night... I'm not exaggerating. It was our entire field of view, it was these brilliant greens and yellows. And it was like this whole curtain of color in, in front of us. That seemingly obscure spot in the middle of nowhere, that was the right place at the right time. So I did a little deeper dive on the northern lights. I never actually looked into them before. It's, they're fascinating. They're a result of a collision, get this, between the heavens and the earth. That's what's going on there. And another thing I found out, it happens almost every day. This isn't like a rare occurrence. These, these happen almost every day. It's just sometimes the conditions aren't right to see them. What happens is you've got this solar wind of charged particles that is continuously streaming from our source of life and light, the sun. And when that heavenly energy collides with the Earth's upper atmosphere, results are spectacular. Absolutely spectacular. But if you're taking notes, I want to invite you to write this down. When the heavens and the Earth collide, wonderful things happen. The northern lights aren't random. It's cause and effect. Cause and effect. Now, with hindsight, it's so much cause and effect that someone could look back, look at all the conditions, and say that, what happened at Camp Lutherdell was an of course moment. Of course, the northern lights would appear at that spot, at that time, in that place. The conditions were right. Cause and effect. The conditions were right. If you want to experience that kind of a collision between the heavens and the earth, there are things you can do. There's things you can do to put yourself in a better position to see the northern lights. If you want to see the northern lights, head north. 
They say 66.5 degrees latitude and north is your, your best shot. I didn't know there was such a thing as a southern lights. I never stopped to ask before. I Google southern lights. It's a thing. So if you want to see the southern lights, go south. You want to have a clear sky? You want to wait till it's dark? You want to be facing the right direction? And if that solar winds from the heavens collides at that time with the earth, you're going to see something spectacular. When that happens, you're also going to find yourself, I want to tell others about this because it was just that cool. Just that cool. All right, well, today what we're going to explore, a lot of you probably see what's coming here. Are there things we can do? Are there things we can do to position ourselves for wonder? Is it just right place, right time? Or is there more to it than that? That's what we're going to explore today. All right, but first I want to give a little bit of um, a little bit of context for those of you who are just joining us. Three weeks ago, we launched a brand new Advent series called Repeat the Sounding Joy. And what this is about, it's about how do you access real joy in a broken world? Not the fake kind of stuff. Real joy, how do you do that in a broken world? Well, we opened this series with an uh, illustration. That first sun, uh, that first week that we did this, up in front, we had this beautiful display. You can see that most of the display behind me right now, this beautiful, picture-perfect Advent candle display. The only thing that was different, it was we had a jar. We had this jar. This beautiful, picture-perfect jar. Do you know what somebody did to that picture-perfect jar? They smashed it up. Can you believe that? They took this perfect jar, smashed it all to pieces. Well, if you look close behind me, the pieces are there. Those smashed up pieces are now in a hurricane, which just hit me like a couple days ago. How symbolic is that? Broken in a hurricane. Doesn't that feel like a life sometime? (laughs) Well, this teaching series, what we've been doing, we've been opening up our Bibles. We've been trying to learn from people who could access hope right in the midst of this broken world. And we've been looking at people like Mary and Joseph. We've been looking at Simon and Anna, Zachariah, Elizabeth. And those first three weeks were heavy. They were really heavy. Our focus in week one was resounding disruptions, we called it. How do you access joy when you think you got life figured out? You think you got your life put together and then something smashes it. Some kind of disruption comes. It shatters your hopes. It shatters your dreams. Focus on number two got even heavier because the focus number two, we called it resounding longings. How in the world do you access joy when you've got this deep longing and it seems like it's being unmet? year after year after year. And then week three was resounding disbelief. How do you access real joy when it's like, how do I even trust or even believe that this is possible? The things that the Word of God says. All right, here's the thing about this week. This one is going to feel a lot lighter, but this is no less weightier. I don't know if that distinction makes sense. It's not going to feel as heavy But this one is no less weightier because it is not exaggeration in the least to say what we're talking about today. This can, this can be a complete game changer for your faith. Complete game changer. Why? This can be a game changer for you. Why? This can be a game changer for those around you. Why? Because once you start experiencing the wow, man, that can, that can, be an absolute game changer. So this week is all about 
positioning ourselves to have a better chance, if that's the right word, to experience more wonder when it comes to the things of God. So here's a question to get us started down that path. When was the last time you witnessed something worth witnessing about? Wouldn't that be a fun question for a small group, for a small church? When was the last time you actually witnessed something worth witnessing about? Um, just theoretically right now, theoretically, with a show of hands, how many of you believe that the Bible of, if the God of the Bible is real, that he would still be willing and able to do wonderful things today? Right? If he is who he says he is, right? Theoretically, this should be possible. Well, as we head into a new year, I got good news for you. And I think this is worth writing down too. Wonders waiting for you in 2004, 2024, <laughs> 2024. Next week, we're going to gather right here. We're going to gather in this room. We're going to celebrate the good news of Christmas that God is with us. So let's see what we can learn. What can we learn from that first Christmas about being in the right spot, right time? So let's open up our Bibles. If you have your Bible with you, let's open up to Luke chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible at home, we want to encourage you right now. Um, go home and go home. You are home or wherever you are download um, a great free Bible app at Bible.com. All right, we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 9 to start. Luke chapter 2, verse 8 through 9. And in that same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. All right, in that time and in that place, these shepherds, they appeared to be nobodies in the middle of nowhere. That's how most people would have thought of this. But they ended up being the right people in the right spot at the right time. So let's dig into that a little bit. Sheep and goats, let's start there. Sheep and goats, they were the most important animals in the biblical world. And a lot of Old Testament Hall of Famers, they spent time as shepherds. A lot of people forget Moses spent time as a shepherd, something like 40 years or something like that. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and more. In the Old Testament, that term shepherd often had positive connotations. In fact, a shepherd, if you were a good leader, you were a good shepherd. If you were a good king, you were a good shepherd. And in those fields that we just read about back in the days of old, in those same fields, there were some pretty wondrous things that happened in the Old Testament right there. But Luke, he's not writing in Old Testament times, is he? He's writing what we call New Testament times. And in those times, shepherd, that was not something that people aspired to. I heard that this year's Oxford word of the year is, does anyone know? Riz. Riz. That's, that's the word. All right, back then, shepherd vibe, not riz. Not riz. It's like anti-riz. You're going for riz, you don't go for shepherd in the first century. So, did these rizless, poor, marginalized souls, did they just get lucky? Okay, we are the wrong people, but we were in the right place at the right time. Is that what happened? All right, let's keep reading. Moving ahead to verses 10 through 11. Chapter 2, verses 10 through 11. The angel then said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. It will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. All right, this is what it says in... In verses 10 and 11. It is hard to overstate just how loaded that passage was. Um, here's what one of the sources I looked at said about this. It said, well-known images in what we just read here are seized 
exploited and undergo rebirth in this narrative. So let's just start with the Jewish images. Unto you, the angel says, is born someone who is the Savior and the Christ and the Lord. In that economy of words, they're saying this baby is the rescuer you've been waiting for. This baby is the chosen one you've been waiting for. And if that's not enough, this baby, by using the word, the Greek word we translate as Lord, they're saying this is God. This baby is all of those things. And that's not all that's implied by what the uh, angel just said, because in that time and in that place, these are Jewish people, but they're under Roman occupation. And what the angel says there is a shot right across the bow of Caesar. Because in that time and in that place, the angel's saying stuff that you're supposed to say about the baby. Uh, They're saying things about the baby, I should say. The angel was saying things about the baby that people were expected to say when the emperor celebrated his birthday. I don't know if I got that out right. Let me try it again. So the angel (laughs) is saying things about that baby that you're supposed to say about the emperor on the emperor's birthday. That's what's going on here. The emperor in those days was Augustus. He was the adopted son of Julius Caesar. Augustus said, yeah, my dead adopted father, he was God. So that must make me the son of God. Interesting. Augustus expected his subjects to hail him as Savior and Lord and to celebrate the good news of his birth. What did the angels just do? He said, it's all about this kid. Man, so subversive. Heaven and earth are about to collide. Let's go back to the text. Verse 12 says this, and this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and cloths and lying in a manger. This is interesting. In the account of his first Christmas, Luke mentions the manger not once, not twice, three times. How many times does Luke mention the Magi? Zero. How many times does Luke mention the dreams that Joseph had? He mentions this manger as he's talking about shepherds three times. Wow. When the long-awaited Messiah arrived, the angels told shepherds to look for their Savior and Lord in a box that animals eat out of. Here's the kind of things that people who study the Bible say about this. The contrast between the birth's commonness and the child's greatness could not be greater. This is a very, very different kind of king. Verses 13 to 14. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he's pleased. All right, here's another example of the narrative being seized, exploited, and reborn. Because you know what Caesar Augustus would do? It is fascinating to do the history on this. Caesar Augustus would assemble choirs to praise him. And Caesar's choirs would sing, and I'm not making this up, about the peace that Augustus had brought throughout the Roman Empire. Here the angels are announcing, like just parroting this thing. You know, they're announcing a very different kind of king, very different kind of peace. And they are making this announcement to the right people in the right place. Let me give you a little background on that too. Later in life, remember this is getting announced to shepherds. Later in life, Jesus refers to himself as the good shepherd. And remember in scripture, what can a shepherd be? Shepherd can be humble. Shepherd can be king. Sounded all like the person Jesus began. These particular shepherds were within walking distance of the city of David. Why is that significant? That's where they thought the Messiah was going to be born. When David was a boy, what was he? A shepherd. Where was he watching his flocks? Well, by the city of David. David may have been 
may have watched his flocks in that same field where those shepherds are right now. And that shepherd boy, David, responded to a call to come in from those fields to be anointed king. And if all that's not enough, get this. It is highly possible because of the proximity to Jerusalem, those shepherds watching those sheep, that those lambs would be chosen to be the sacrificial lambs at Passover in Jerusalem. What did Jesus ultimately become? The good shepherd became the lamb, sacrificed at Passover in Jerusalem. These are the right people. That's the right place. And Scripture also points out this is the fullness of time. The fullness of time. That peace that Augustus brought, for the first time now people could travel throughout the known world in ways they couldn't before. 300 years before that, when Alexander the Great came through, he left the Greek language all the way through. So now you've got a common language. You have a way to disperse it. Fullness of time. If there's good news, it can travel now. Chess pieces are in place for good news to spread. And God is purposeful in who he chose to first spread it. There's more going on here than luck alone. Are you starting to see this? All right. Heavens and earth collided with, with one another, and there was purpose in it. Let's go on. Verses 15 through 20. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, right, let's go over to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste. They found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. But the shepherds then returned, glorifying, praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. The shepherds witnessed something worth witnessing about. And one of the things I didn't mention earlier, in that time and that place, shepherds weren't allowed to testify by law. Who did God choose to be the first witnesses? Shepherds. He trusted people with a message that no one else trusted them with. He saw something in those shepherds. He saw something that other people didn't see. All right. What can we learn? What can we learn from them? Let's start here. There's more to right place, right time than luck. So, dot, dot, dot. That dot, dot, dot is worth thinking about. All right. If there's more to right time, right place than luck, what does that mean? If you want to see more wonder, what does that mean to you? Shepherds didn't just get lucky. Our source of light and light is very intentional, very intentional about when and where he collides in a wonder-filled way. A few Advents ago, we did something. A few Advents ago, we went looking. Where's the common ground here? God is showing up to these specific people in specific ways. Is there common ground between Mary and Joseph, between Simon and Anna, between the Magi and the shepherds, Zechariah and Elizabeth? And we found at least two things. With all these people who saw extra wonder during that first Christmas season, we saw at least two things they all had in common. It was obedience and praise. They all responded, some way, shape, or form, obedience and praise. Sometimes those are the basic words used. Two things out, two things stood out. When they experienced wonder, their response, obedience and praise. So, you want to experience more wonder? 2024, it all starts with the heart. 
if you did experience that wonder-filled moment, how would you respond? Would it be wonder and praise, you know, or obedience and praise? I'm going to do what was asked, and I'm going to honor God in it. Starts with the heart. That's that's where I would go. Where meek ones still, or where meek ones will receive him still, song goes, dear Christ enters in. All right, here's another step, right direction. You're more likely to see a train near the tracks. So, go by the tracks. Brilliant man named C.S. Lewis once wrote a book on miracles, and we referenced this, I think, a few months ago. In that book, one of several great points he made is this. He said, you're more likely to see a train if you spend more time by the tracks. Now, I do want to say before we go too far down this this, uh, track that one of the biggest misconceptions about what this means is this. I think this author says it really, really well. We who look at religion from the outside, we think of transcendence, heaven colliding with earth, as something that occurs at special moments in concentrated bursts of illumination. But people raised in homes where religious ritual occurs over breakfast, at dinner and in school, throughout the weekends, I love this phrase. They know this. Revelation commingles promiscuously with the routine. Come on. Isn't that true? And I'm looking at these examples, and this is pure gold, you guys. Where was Mary when the angel appeared to her? It doesn't even mention it. Just all we know is she was somewhere in a little town called Nazareth. Wait, the shepherds were at work. Joseph was sleeping. Zechariah, uh, Simeon, Anna, they were in the temple, but what had happened in the temple that was Bible-worthy for the last 400 years? Nothing. They weren't chasing some, you know, crazy fireworks. They were just doing what you do. Interesting. And God showed up. So, point here before we go any further is, do wow moments only happen at camp? No. Do they only happen at revivals? No. In fact, every one of these examples, it's the opposite. Every one of these examples. It all starts with the hearts. And, I want to say this, if your hearts are ready to respond with obedience and praise, are there other things you can do in addition to that? Yes! Why? Because the Bible invites us to. Just like if you want to experience the northern lights, you're more likely to see them in Norway outside on a cloudless night facing north than you are to see them in Alabama inside on a rainy day watching NASCAR, right? So your heart can be in the right place, but if you're not looking the right direction, you can miss it. If you want to see God at work, go where he promises to be. There's a crazy thought. We, we just had the, or the um, Fun After 50. Fun After 50 group, their planning group was here. They're an amazing group of people. What does the Bible say? Two or more are gathered. What did Jesus say? I am. If you're gathered in, in their name, you want to experience God? You want to see him show up? Put yourself there. When you're caring for the least of these, Jesus said you did it unto me. You want to watch God show up? Go spend time caring, loving the least of these. When we ask the Father for the gift of the Holy Spirit, he said, that's a gift I love to give. When the gospel is proclaimed, the gospel is the power of God. For those who believe. So you put all these together like at camp. You put all these together like we do on our short-term mission trips. 
I'm telling you, you're more likely to be in a position to see the wow. Why? Because God says, I'm in those things. I want to encourage you to reflect on this point too. What would it look like for you? What's your dot, dot, dot? What does it look like for you to go spend time by the tracks? Right by the tracks. All right, this next one that I want to give you, this is a reminder more than anything else. God is with us on the mountaintops and in the valleys. So, dot, dot, dot. The reason I want to say that this is a reminder primarily is because this is what we've really been talking about the last three weeks. That God is with us in those hard moments. The reason I bring it up now is just in case you missed those last three weeks, know this. He's not just on the mountaintops, he's in the valleys. So here's what I want to say about that is when Laura was giving her, she was sharing this message, the, the, the northern lights were happening behind her. She would have missed him if she didn't turn towards them. As hard as it is, that's, that's an encouragement I want to give you. If you're in the valley, don't turn away from God. Turn towards him. And watch what he can do in the midst, right there with the thing that you're going through. All right, let me give you just one more. One more. <laughs> this is good news of great joy. So, dot, dot, dot. I'll fill in that dot, dot. So share the story. <laughs> share the story. All right. I could come up with a million stories. Let me give you one that happened today, as in 3 o'clock this morning. That's how fresh this story is. Maybe that's why I'm having so much trouble with these word things. 3 o'clock, I'm going to tell you a story. It happened today. So this is, God, he works, you guys. He's still at work. All right, first let me give you the backstory. Here's the backstory. Backstory is this. We are in the final stretch of budget time. Final stretch of budget time as, as the church. In fact, we just had our, our, our budget meeting was in that room right around the hall, uh, right down the hall last night. Um, we got out, got out late. And we're going to be bringing forward to the congregation. We've talked about bold budgets before. This is ludicrous is what this one is. Bold. And here's the thing. It's not because we're building a building. It's not because we're going to put in a new fireplace or fountain or something like that. We're helping that children's home in Juarez rebuild their school. We're doubling down on our investments with kids and teens at a time when so few churches have the capacity to do it or the vision. We're The big one is we're stepping out in faith. No, we are stepping off a cliff when it comes to this Juntos initiative. We're, we're, for those of you who don't know, we're going to be launching a bilingual service just down the hall in the community room in English and Spanish. And we're not just translating. We're not going to be like, okay, let's just translate what we do in English. We're not going to be like, hey, come in and share our expenses with us, struggling Spanish-speaking church. We're going to be searching for a pastor. We're going to be building out this whole thing. And this is a big deal. Our partner, Mauricio, who's helping us out with this, he's been doing his networking. He's been talking to leaders all around the country. And here are the three things that he's been hearing. Two of them he's hearing from almost everybody. This third one, that one kind of caught him back by surprise. So here's the two things he's hearing from everybody. All these leaders all over the country. Number one, what you're describing, this model that nobody's doing, this is the future. This model that you're talking about, this is what needs to happen. That's what he's hearing, number one. Number two, he's hearing, good luck finding a pastor. <laughs> because no one's doing this. No one's been trained to do this. Good luck finding someone that shares that vision, that gets that vision. And then here's the one that he heard from somebody. One of the voices he trusts the most, he says, you know what's the only thing rarer than finding that pastor? 
finding a church who's going to take this on. From an outside perspective, and I've heard this, I've heard this from outside perspective. People are saying, why this? Why you? Why here? Why now? We're hearing a lot of that. Why? (laughs) I'll tell you why. Because as best we can discern it, this is one of those moments where your servant may it be to us according to your word. That's what this is. Okay, that's the backstory. So now let's talk about the story. Just last night, mentioned that conference room. We had that meeting with this budget. And here's the thing about this budget. It is our boldest investment ever in those who are least able to pay for it. These big investments, so many of these big investments we're making, we're making in people who can't pay for it. This is God-sized. So this morning at 3 a.m., I'm up. Because my heart's pounding. You know? One of the reasons is, and I'll just be really candid with you, I would love to have a season where we're playing it safe. That's not normally my nature, but we could really use one. We could really use one where we just play it safe for a year. But even more importantly than that, why is my heart pounding? My heart's pounding because I take stewardship incredibly responsible, incredibly seriously. We want to be an exceptional stewardship of every, every dollar that we have here. We want to make sure we're not wasting resources. We want to make sure we're not burning people out. This is really, really, really important. I don't want to be doing that. I don't want to be leading this off the cliff. So when I can't sleep, um, one of the things I often do, I will get up out of my bed, I'll go down on the couch, and I'll read. And I'll read. So, and this is zero exaggeration. This is the book I was reading. So um, we're, I'm reading ahead for a series on Sabbath. That's going to be our next series. It's going to be such a good series, you guys. This is not just the chapter I open to. This is the page I open to. Right here, page two, 124. And here's the excerpt. Here's, here's what it talks about. Now, this may not hit you the same way it hit me, but it's like, oh, are you kidding me? The Sabbath practice of giving rather than accumulating, of caring for the needs of others, of putting aside one's personal pleasure in order to create pleasure for many, our negative ceasing to possess must be accompanied by a positive one. Choosing to be generous. And here's where all of a sudden the light comes in. My mind then went to countless times when God has provided. When he's called us to do something that looked impossible and he came through. One of the stories we tell, probably most of you have heard this because we tell this story to now every one of our new members because I want every one of our new members coming in I want them to know this is at the core of who we are. Our very first Christmas as a church, very first Christmas as a church, we had only been doing monthly services three times, and then we went to weekly in December. So we were our first weekly services as a church, 2007, weekly services. We had just gotten started. We had like had one, and this guy I had met, this pastor, Latino pastor, Javier, he comes up and he says, Chris, um, we could really use your help. So we've got so many of our families, they can't afford presents for their kids. Is there any way you guys could do a toy drive for for our kids? And again, I'm I'm completely candid with you. In my head, I'm going, trying to have game face on, but in my head, I'm going, no way. (laughs) Because we don't have any money as a brand new church. And I know how this works. When you put a thing like this, our people are going to be like, yeah, I'll totally give to that. So instead of money going into the offering plate in December for a brand new church, money's going to go to these toys. 
So that's what's in my head, but I'm like, okay, Holy Spirit whispers, what's the right thing to do? Well, the right thing to do is we're going to say yes to this. But the reality is, okay, we got like two weeks for a toy drive. You know, we didn't have easy, you know, email, all that kind of stuff. So I'm like, I don't even know how many people can say yes to this anyway. But yeah, we're, we're in. We'll do the toy drive. So we announce it. We say, bring the toys on such and such a day. And then we talked with our team. We said, oh, I know what we're going to do with our team. What we're going to do is we'll, um, we'll have the kids come down and bring the toys and they'll put them up on the stage. And we'll play the little drummer boy while they do. It's going to be really, really cute for all five of the toys or whatever that we have. So we're playing the little drummer boy and the kids start coming down with toys. And they put them on the stage. And they go back and they bring more. And they go back and bring more. And we're hitting repeat on this song because they're going back and back. Pretty soon the kids team is loading them up with armfuls of toys at a time. And they're going, they're putting them on these stages. Someday we got to track down that picture because we got um, photo evidence of this. Across the stage at Chippewa, filled with toys. I'm looking at our little church of 150 dripping wet. I'm going, this math does not work. Well, it does if it's kingdom math. So that was three-ish this morning. At 12.44 this afternoon, you know what hits me? This hits me. That was December of 2007. And in 2007, that big task, a toy drive, felt like such a giant thing. It felt like we were David, that was the giant. Fast forward to 2010, when we get the phone call about Raimundo, the phone call about they're going to kill this teenager, can you take him? Now all of a sudden... It's like, okay, that was not a giant back then. That was the lions and bears. This is the giant. How can we afford to take in this guy? But the answer is yes, let's do it. Okay, today, I'm like, are you kidding me? Okay, the giant (laughs) was not that. Giant is this. What's going to happen five Decembers from now? If God's in it, if God's in it, he's in it. In fact, I will, I will say this. I will, I, will, I will put this in writing if you want. Actually, it is in writing right here. There's going to come a day. There's going to come a day. A couple years from now, I don't know, five years from now, when we, will, we, won't even, we won't even be able to imagine what Emmanuel was like back in the days before. We're not going to be able to imagine what it was like because it's so, it's so changed in such good ways who we are. So good ways who we are. Challenges look big when God looks small. Challenges look big when God looks small. This is a church that is committed to doing ministry at the tracks. Can I get an amen? That's who we are. That's who we are. Not foolish, not crazy, but at the tracks. This is also a church that has, it's filled with people who've got wow stories. Filled with people who have wow stories. Not just of provision like this, but of healings. Of visions. Of things that God whispered. That you could have never known. There was a night I saw with my own eyes. God stopped the wind and then started it again. There's stories of joy and chaos, a peace that makes no sense. Broken relationships that seem beyond repair, being healed. And not just stories of meeting God in these mountaintop moments, but stories of God meeting them in the valleys. Stories of God with us. Wonders waiting for you. Wonders waiting for you. Open up your heart. Position yourself by the tracks. Turn towards God in both the highs and the lows. You're going to have some stories of your own to share. Let's pray. God, I, I am so thankful.
for you. I'm thankful that you don't let us just settle and drift off into meaninglessness. Thank you for entrusting us with a vision that is too big for us because we're going to get to see wow. We're going to get to see wow. God, again, God, we don't want to be foolish. We don't want to be just chasing after dreams that are our own. This doesn't have that fingerprint on it. Lord, I pray for my friends that are listening, my friends that are gathered here. Lord, we pray that this would be a year where you would help us through the power of your Holy Spirit to open our hearts to you, where we are going to be willing to say yes, where we are going to be able to praise you for it and not ourselves, so that as we position ourselves by the tracks, we get a chance to see you in action in such a way that we are excited to tell others about it. And thank you, God, that that isn't just in those mountaintop valleys, which are so fun, Lord, thank you that you reveal yourself to us in those valleys. And I pray for those, especially right now, who are in them. Lord, I pray that they could see you at work right in the midst of it. Lord, we're so thankful that you stepped into this world, and we want to celebrate that this coming week. And Lord, right now, as we seal this time with this song, we pray that you'd meet us in it. Help this song to remind us of how you are in it all. We pray all these things in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen.